Aaron. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. When I was growing up, I went to church. Morning, noon, well, morning and night, and Wednesday night also, was always there whenever the doors were open. And one of my favorite services was Sunday night. Sunday night. Why was Sunday night such a favorite for me? Well, because there was a lot of gospel singing. I mean, it was really energetic. And I'm not talking about the dancing and shouting kind of energy that we find in so many churches today. I'm talking about the very songs themselves. I remember hearing and singing the song, O Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. I was a kid. And I'll tell you, those words just gripped my mind and my heart. O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming love. My father, in our congregation on Sunday evenings, would lead the time of singing. And he was really into these gospel songs. And he would sometimes play his cornet, a small trumpet, to kind of energize and give further full body to the singing together. My wife also, as she grew up, enjoyed the Sunday evening services. Why? For the very same reason. And there's another reason, and that is because on Sunday evenings, it seemed like the messages were more practical. In other words, they really went to the heart of where we were living. And they made a difference. There was conviction in the heart that would come as the word of God was presented there on Sunday evening. Well, I don't know what your experience has been, but I'm telling you, this matter of being a victor is a big deal. How are we going to have victory in Jesus amid perilous times? The Apostle Paul told us that these are going to be perilous times. And indeed, if you're looking around You have to be blind in one eye and refuse to see out of the other to realize that these are indeed perilous times. So how are you going to stand in the evil day? The Apostle Paul said that we should be able to stand in the evil day, and he encouraged us to be able to stand in the evil day. Well, that's part of being a victor. You're either going to be a victor or a victim. And today... If you look at our world, and yes, even within the broader body of Christ, you find that huge numbers of people, if not the majority, are actually seeing themselves as victims rather than victors. And why is that? Well, today on Viewpoint, we're going to find out why that is. And we're also going to provide a remedy. We're going to provide insight as to what you and I can do to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, to stand as a victor, not a victim. So the question is, how do you stand in the fight? How do we stand in the fight? So I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction talk that transforms. And I believe that today's conversation with our special guest, William Wood, 
is going to make a difference in the life of many people who are listening today. I hope you'll listen to every single word today. Do everything you can. One person called me from Pennsylvania, from Pennsylvania just earlier this week and said, I've been listening now to your program for quite some period of time, and I have a date with you every afternoon. She said, I make a date with you every afternoon to make sure I listen to the whole program. Well, I hope that you find the program that valuable as well. And today, I think you will, as William Wood joins us here from Pennsylvania with his book, Every Day of Victory, Practical Weapons to Fight, Stand, and Live Free. William, it's good to have you on the program. Well, it's good to be here, Chuck. I appreciate it. Well, now, you're you're sounding an awful lot like not to, not a Pennsylvania guy, but somebody in the Deep South. <laughs> yes, I am originally from Alabama. Well, you see, your shibboleths were giving you away. <laughs> well, yeah, people can always pick up on that southern accent. Even when I'm in other countries and I tell people I'm from Pennsylvania, they even correct me there, so... Well, you certainly don't sound like I would have thought William Penn would have sounded. (laughs) (laughs) You say when you open your book in the introduction that only the individuals that have met the challenge of personal responsibility have walked in victory as a lifestyle. The problem, as I see it today, is that everybody wants to focus on their rights, but almost nobody wants to talk about their responsibilities. What say you? Well, that's exactly right, Chuck. I mean, if you look at um, the biblical narrative, and you look all throughout Scripture, you know, God didn't just do things for people, He did things with people, which means there was a part that He would play and a part that we would play in that context. And so I believe there's a large part of the body of Christ that is still waiting for God to do what He wants them to do. Well, you're working with a group called Global Awakening. Uh, What's your role there? I am an associate minister, so what I do is represent uh, Global Awakening um, as I travel throughout the, the country and the world doing conferences, missions, workshops, training seminars. Um, our focus is activating people in the gifts of the Spirit and to walk in the supernatural. Well, uh, if we can't walk in the ways of the Lord, we're in deep trouble. I remember another great gospel song, uh, When We Walk with the Lord in the Light of His Word, What a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Well, that song contains, it encapsulates, I think, an awful lot of uh, the spirit of your book. But here's here's the rub. It contains the word obey. And that word is deemed a four-letter word among vast proportions of professing Christians today. In fact, uh, what you may not know, William, is that over the past five, six years, I have asked numerous pastors and parachurch leaders on this program uh, what they think of the word obey. And they universally agree it's the most hated word in the church today. What say you? (laughs) I would, I would definitely agree with that statement. I mean, if you look here in America, and you look at the way the gospel is primarily um, presented, 
it kind of, in a sense, presents Jesus only as Savior, and it disconnects it from the context of him being Lord, which means people are just simply receiving Jesus into their life, but they're continuing to be their own God. Well, it's no Either. wonder they can't walk in victory then. <laughs> That's exactly right, bro. <laughs> well, this is plain talk for troubled times here on Viewpoint Today. Friends, our special guest, William Wood, with his book, Every Day of Victory, Practical Weapons to Fight, Stand, and Live Free. Now, uh, I told William I don't want him to pro- pro- uh, promote his book because, as Abraham Lincoln said, he who represents himself as a fool for a client. So I'm going to promote his book for him because it is going to be used by God to bring transformation to a lot of people here today. What kind of transformation? Victory. Victory, victory, this our cry. That's not just a cheerleading line. That's what God is calling for you. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Here it is, The Prescription for Victory, Every Day of Victory, the book, Practical Weapons to Fight, Stand, and Live Free. $18 is going to put it, excuse me, $17 is going to put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and we want to get this prescription for victory in your hands. You see, it's not really a mystery. It's not really a mystery. We like to make it seem like a mystery so that we can defend ourselves for not being victorious. Did you hear what I just said? We like to make things out to be more mysterious than they are so that we can avoid the responsibility of walking in true victory. William Wood, our special guest here today on Viewpoint. And uh, William, you have uh, indicated uh, right here in the first uh, two or three chapters of your book, as far as I'm concerned, the whole book is worth the price just for the first couple of chapters. I really believe that. They're transformative. So you say, what happens to us does not have the authority to determine what happens in us unless we give those external things in life that authority. We're the ones who need to take responsibility for the person we are on the inside. So then you ask the question, are you ready to be a victor? If I were to ask you, William what you perceive to be the fundamental difference between those who are willing and ready to be a victor and those who want to be victims, how would you respond to that? Well, it begins as, as a mindset, begins as an, an attitude of the heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at Proverbs 23, verse 7, it says, For as a man thinks in himself, so he is. So mm-hmm. 
by that context, uh, that reveals that our state of being is dependent upon the meditation of our heart and the meditation of our mind. So until we take responsibility for what we're thinking, we're not going to walk in victory. So stinking thinking produces stinking living. <laughs> that's a very good way to put that, brother. And that's exactly right. I mean, even science is even science is backing up the word of God. Even science has proved proved that uh, that if you think on depressing things, it will produce depression in your heart. That your physical being responds to your thoughts, but not just your thoughts, but also responds to your voice, what you speak. And so, even science has shown the word of God to be true. <laughs> Interestingly, God talks about our thoughts. He says, you know, my thoughts are not the same as your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. So it seems to me that if we really want to live a life of victory, we want to walk in the thoughts of God, the way God views things and not the way everybody else seems to view them. And yet everybody today wants to talk about worldview. If you get the right worldview, I think that's not quite correct. I think our problem is not our worldview, it's our God view. That's a a very good point, brother. I mean, the way that you view God determines the way that you'll live within the world, the way that you approach the world. You know, if you view him as as an angry God, then that's what the image you will reflect in the world around you. But when you realize that he wants to, to flow in your life, to flow through your life, and He wants to use you to minister to the world around you. This is one of the reasons why we are referred to as the body of Christ, is because we are to represent the physical presence of Christ on earth. And so I'm convinced that the world is not rejecting Jesus. What they're rejecting is the misrepresentation of Jesus through the church. Interesting. Very Interesting. Very interesting. That could take a whole a whole broadcast to un- unfold that one. <laughs> well, if you look at it, when Jesus Himself was walking the earth, who was He primarily spending His time with? Well, obviously, His the disciples, but it was the lost, it was the sinners, it was the broken, it was the religious people that were offended by it. <laughs> well, that's true. In fact, it was the leaders. It was the leaders that were most offended, and they were offended because they thought of themselves as sort of quasi-gods. And uh, Jesus said, no, you you say you're of your father Abraham, but you're not. Uh, If you were of your father Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. You're not of your father Abraham. Your father is the devil. Now, (laughs) those are the words that gentle Jesus, sweet and mild, uh, said to the religious leaders of his day. Uh, Jesus was known for some straight talk in troubled times, wasn't he? You know, that's one of the things I really value about Jesus. You know, my relationship with the Lord is very much like that. He just he speaks to me very directly. He doesn't beat around the bush with it. And, you know, Uh I like that. I want someone to tell me the truth. And I want someone to tell me if I have a booger on my chin or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I ask God simple questions. Uh, For instance, before I come to the broadcast desk every day, I said, Lord, what do the people need to hear from your viewpoint? What do I need to say? Please direct our conversation today, what we need to do. People will ask me, uh, and here we have an interview that was scheduled, but on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we don't do interviews. And uh, 
So somebody will ask me, well, Chuck, what's on schedule for uh, your program today or tomorrow? And I can't tell them. I said, because God hasn't made it clear yet. Sometimes it doesn't come clear until 10, 15 minutes before program time. And uh, that's where the inspiration comes. So we're led not so much by perspiration, but by inspiration. And uh, when we're led by inspiration, then we can live lives of victory, can't we? Oh, absolutely. And I just love the way you beautifully articulated that. You know, it kind of puts you in a position where you know, you're not depending upon yourself and your ability to organize, articulate, communicate, but you're depending on his ability through you to articulate, communicate his truth and his words that the people need to hear in that moment. And so that's the way that I kind of try to partner my life as well, brothers. I just, I want to yield my will unto his will so that his will can be accomplished. That's exactly right. Jesus came to do the will of his Father. He said, I, I didn't come to do my own will. I'm not doing my own thing. I'm crying out to the Father, uh, Lord, what would you have me to say? What do you want me to do? What people do you want me to meet with? And he gives me that direction. And I think that's exactly what God is looking to us to do. Jesus said, while I'm the in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now I'm leaving. Now you're the light of the world. He called us to be ambassadors and uh How are we going to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God if we're not walking in victory? That's exactly right, brother. I'm a big proponent of if we're living defeated, it's because we're not relinquishing control over to the Holy Spirit to govern us. You know, if you think about it, the most beautiful gift that God has given us is our will. And the reason he gave us a will is because he does not want slaves. He wants children to obey him out of their own desire to do so, mm-hmm. out of their own willful mm-hmm. desire to do so. You have just said so, a mouthful, and, brother. Well, I know it, but, but with that, you know, he's that reveals he's not interested in controlling us. Now, he lives inside of us. He desires to be in control. If we had enough sense, we would want him to be in control. But it's to the degree that we yield our will, it's to the degree that his will will be manifested through our life. Well, one of the words that uh, most uh, succinctly expresses that is the word surrender. My wife says that's her her, her favorite word, uh, surrender. We used to sing a song, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. Uh, that concept doesn't much compute today in our country, does it? <laughs> it sure doesn't. But that reveals why people are walking around defeated is because they're remaining in control of their destiny instead of relinquishing control over over to the Lord to let him govern their life. You know, <laughs> when I see one that's defeated, it's because they're trying to be their own God instead of allowing the, their creator to define their purpose and value. So it's about control then. Uh, we want to be in control, and as Americans particularly, uh, trusting in the spirit of science, we somehow are disconnected with God control. Uh, the concept of the Holy Spirit just doesn't seem to compute very, very much for American Christians. And uh, without the Holy Spirit... I testified just uh, last week here on the air. I couldn't do what I do today, even though I'm trained as a trial lawyer, pleading causes, pleading cases. But I tell you, I couldn't do what I do today without the Holy Spirit's inspiration and revelation. 
That's absolutely correct, brother. I mean, I, when I was pastoring, I actually had this this gentleman come up to me, and he was a cessationist, which means he didn't believe in the continuation of the gifts, and mm-hmm. he didn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I said to him. I says, well, you're basically insinuating then that you can live the Christian life in the strength of your flesh. I said, that seems to be more of an arrogant statement than anything, is to, is to deny the power of the Spirit. No question. No question. And when you go back, and you, you take us on a little journey back to Genesis chapter uh, 2 uh, and 3, where Adam and Eve, they've been married by God, and the very next thing that happens, the Scripture says, then the serpent. Now, the serpent didn't come until there was a husband and a wife and the Holy Spirit. Now there's something for Satan to go after. And so he goes after Adam and Eve based upon the issue of authority. Who's going to be in authority? He is very clever. In fact, doesn't the Bible say that he's the cleverest of all the beasts? Well, absolutely. And he looked at them, and he looked at the authority, and looked at the dominion that God had, had gave them, and, that, and he was wanting that. But if you have noticed, he came against Eve in the form of a serpent, not in the form of something that was powerful and authoritative, which reveals that the reason he did that was because he couldn't force her into obedience. He couldn't force her into compliance because she had authority over him. So he had to deceive her into compliance. In other words, he had to seduce her. That's exactly right. (laughs) It was spiritual seduction. And, uh, in fact, you talk in your book about uh, the only two ways that Satan comes against us. Uh, one is deception, and the other is temptation. What's the difference? Well, the power of deception is simply the ignorance of truth. You know, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says, My people perish for a lack of knowledge. John mm-hmm. chapter 8, verse 32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So by that context, the truth we don't know is what's keeping us bound. And so... Satan loves to see uh, ignorant Christians because they, because of that place of ignorance that gives his presence purpose in their life. You know, when you look at temptation, the well, number one way that the enemy tempts us is by literally projecting upon us his own desires, his own mm-hmm. sin, hoping that we come into human agreement with it. So the power of temptation is human agreement. You have expressed things so succinctly in your book, and uh, I just, I I want to urge our listeners to get a copy of this book, William, because I think it's going to be so helpful to so many people that realize they're not walking in victory, and they don't understand it, and they're frustrated, and they hear about others walking in victory, but they themselves are not. Practical weapons to fight, stand, and live free, friends. Every day of victory is the book. $17. We'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. So, William, you say Satan will first implant a lie for the purpose of creating a place for a spirit to occupy that lie later. And that's exactly what the serpent did. 
He asked a question to Eve. Hath God said? Now, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with that. But the goal of asking the question was the issue. And that was to cast doubt on what God said. And isn't that what happens to the majority of professing Christians today? They allow the culture, they allow the tempter, the deceiver to cast doubt on what God has said. And then they replace that with whatever the culture tells them, whatever somebody else, their friends tell them, and so on. So the word of God loses its authority. Well, that's exactly how, how the enemy does it. But if you look at our life today, uh, the primary way that the enemy does that is by getting us to look to all the facts of life instead of the truth of God's promise or the truth of God's word. You know? We want like- to get to that after this break, friends. Every day of victory. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. I received an email today from one of our longtime listeners. And uh, I want to share this uh, email briefly with you because it sets a bit of a stage for our further conversation here today. He said, my issue is that my grandparents on my father's side were Catholic and pagan, respectively. But they both knew that the marriage was to be honored and maintained with love and respect. Maybe they had some thought of God faintly being part of the union, but it was as if it was wired into their soul to honor the marriage covenant. Somehow I feel or believe that the marriage covenant is wired into the souls of all men somewhat like having the Ten Commandments written on their soul. I've met all types of non-Christians, even Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, and they have some of these seeming eternal truths wired into their soul. So, Why is it that Christians seem to make such a deal about being faithful to their spouses and engaging in divorce and remarriage? So, I responded to him. He wanted me to listen to a a half-hour address by a very prominent and respected uh, Christian leader of the past. And so I responded, and I said, I listened carefully, And what the gentleman says conveys, for the most part, what traditional American Christian beliefs are. But there are two major and determinative issues. Number one, are all marriages joined by God, or are only those marriages entered 
after commitment to Christ deemed joined by God? Number two, does fornication before marriage allow a believer to both divorce and remarry? These questions require a sincere discussion in total submission to both the spirit and the letter of the scripture, something rarely found among either pastor or people today. Unfortunately, professing Christians take their cues from culture rather than from Christ whenever there is a question that has real import for the lives closest to them, whether they be relatives and friends or parishioners and constituencies upon which they rely for support, favor, and acceptance. In other words, the underlying gist of what I responded to was we set ourselves up for deception. We really do. We want what we want, and we want an end result, an interpretation of what we want, so as to please our friends, our relatives, our constituencies. But where is God in the midst of it all? Are we really interested in pleasing him? And if our primary purpose is to please others and get along with others rather than God, how in the world can we walk in victory? That's the question that I have. Uh, William, what's your response? Well, well, for me, it begins with uh, how I view the Word of God. Do I view it as authoritative mm-hmm. or do I as suggestive? You know, for me, I remember one time I was reading the Bible and I was reading certain passages of Scripture, and it just really offended my flesh. And I finally asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why, does, does, why did these certain passages of Scripture offend me? He says, because you value your opinion above mine. And as soon as he said that, it just recalibrated my heart and to the point when I realized, oh, these areas in my heart and my life are in lack or in defeat just because I'm valuing and holding my opinion there above God's Word instead of allowing His Word to be authoritative to where it determines what I believe in those areas. To a certain extent, I think an awful lot of people want to be ignorant of God's Word. Uh, They don't want to really know what it has to say about their particular situation, because then they would become responsible for it or to it. So they think that ignorance is bliss. Is ignorance bliss? No, ignorance will kill you. That's the way I say it. <laughs> and intention, intentional ignorance is really willful disobedience. That's what you're doing. It's willful disobedience to his word, you know. And and you're right. A lot of people, just they don't want to know what his word says because they don't want to be held accountable uh, to be to live according to it. But they're still living in disobedience. And, and my life is, is, in the past 18 years, has turned out so much radically different as I've been applying His Word in every area of my life. And what I what I do is I look at every area of my heart, every area of my life, and I identify God's truth for that area, and I allow that truth to determine what I believe, period. Mm, so where do your feelings play in that? Well, uh, the way I like to say it is this, you know, you're... Everybody has feelings. They're just horrible leaders, so they have to be guided. And truth guides my feelings. Matter of fact, in Galatians 5, it gives the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the way I look at that is that's descriptive of my internal state of being. So when I have a feeling or a desire that contradicts the fruit of the Spirit, 
I, I don't I don't allow it access into my heart or in my mind to to, to tell me how to how to feel or what to do. I, I speak to it. No, nope, this depression is not mine. So therefore, you're not part of the fruit of the spirit. Therefore, you're not part of my nature. You're not mm. part of my identity. Mm-hmm. You're not part of my existence. And I speak to it. And I command it to go. Well, feelings have become uh, the final arbiter of truth in America today, even in our churches. It seems. Uh, feelings have become Lord, and faith has taken short shrift. Uh, so how can I discern when my emotions are actually deceptive or demonic, uh, not in line with the Spirit of God? How can I discern that? Well, I'm always uh, addressing the mind and everything that I do, everything that I write, everything that I teach, because the Bible puts the transformation of our life on the renewing of the mind. And I teach a lot on taking our thoughts captive. Mm-hmm. And someone recently asked me, so, well, William, how do I take my thoughts captive? I said, well, it's based on where you focus your mind upon. Mm-hmm. You know, so my thing is this, when my mind is focused upon the Lord, when my mind is focused upon the Word of God, then I can trust that my my desires are going to be governed accordingly. But, but but if my mind is focused on the world, focused on my problems, focused on things all around me, then I cannot trust my desires in, in that particular moment because what my mind is focused upon. So early on in your book, you said if we really realize that Christ in us is the hope of glory, then Christ in us is the answer to the world's problems and we should be able to begin to bring divine solutions to the world. So why is it that we spend so much time trying to bring practical solutions to the world instead of God and Spirit-informed solutions to the world? Well, that's exactly right, brother. We have Jesus living inside of us. Every born-again believer has the King of kings and the Lord of lords living inside of us by His Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is abiding there. And He knows all things. And so we have access to the knowledge of God. We have access to the power of God, the authority of God. We have access to everything that He is. And so it don't even make natural, logical sense to, <laughs> to, to not take advantage of the power of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, even look in John chapter 16, right before Jesus went to the cross to die for the sins of the world, he was speaking to the disciples in verses 5 through 11, and he says, listen, it's actually to your advantage that I depart, because if I do depart, the helper, I mean, if I don't depart, the helper will not come to you. And so Jesus is literally with the disciples in his flesh, and he's telling them, it's actually better for you for me to leave so that I can come back to you by my spirit, mm. not just to be with you, but to live in you so that now you have access to everything that I am. That's basically what he was articulating to the disciples. Mm-hmm. If only we could come to grips and understand that in a practical way. And I'll tell you, I've had to go through some pretty tough trials over my life, uh, in order to bring myself, God had to bring me to the point of truly trusting him, of taking him at his word, of listening to his voice and doing what he said. My wife and I could sit here for a couple of hours and go through a whole series of things, going back to the earliest days of our marriage, 57 years ago, 
and show how so many places, so many times, God spoke and we responded. It didn't seem in the natural that that would be a good way to go. But that was the way to go, and we did that. If it had not been for that, I wouldn't be doing this today on the air. Because in 1992, the Holy Spirit spoke to me right there in my law office in California and said, Sonny, you've been pleading the cause of men long enough. I want you to plead my cause of the land. As a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation here at America's Greatest Crisis Hour. And I said, yes, sir. We formed Save America Ministries. And shortly thereafter, he said, now I want you to leave 30 years of business ministry and political investment in California and go to the birthplace of the nation. I'll show you what to do. (laughs) I mean, it looks stupid. But that's what God wanted done. And even my own parents, my own father as a pastor, had a very hard time coming to grips with it. But my wife and I have absolutely no thought that it was not God's leading to do what we did. And I think we need to have that kind of confidence. If we cannot walk in confidence, then the authority of the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, how in the world are we going to be victorious in these troubled times? I don't get it. <laughs> you know, brother, I'm listening to you talk, and it, it kind of reminds me, you know, we... There's one thing we must keep in mind, you know, when the Lord speaks to us and tells us to do things, we have to to keep in mind that he knows every possible outcome to what he's asking us to do. So if it doesn't make sense in the natural, that just simply means he has knowledge that we don't have Mm -hmm. the outcome of what he's telling us to do, because he's already, (laughs) by his foreknowledge, he knows every possible outcome that there is. So when he speaks something... My thing is, I'm, I just trust and obey. You know, once someone recently isn't that simple? Now wait a minute. Isn't <laughs> how, there's nothing complex about that, is there? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy or victorious in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's simple. What's hard is we allow our flesh to get in the way. That's why we don't walk in victory, friends. Stay tuned. We're not through yet. Our special guest, William Wood, every day of victory. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. My thoughts have everything to do with whether or not I can or will walk in victory. My thoughts. 
we're told to bring every thought into captivity. Not just some of our thoughts, but every thought. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. Though we walk in the flesh, we don't battle or war after the flesh. For the, for the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal, but mighty, powerful through God for the destruction, bringing down of obstacles, fortresses, and so on. We're destroying arguments. We're bringing every one of our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, in the King James Version, it says, I'm going to put it all together there. Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Now, the Greek word imaginations means reasonings and thoughts. So here it is, casting down our own reasonings and thoughts, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? That means into agreement with what God has said. In other words, agreement with God's viewpoint on every issue. Now, William, what happens if I don't bring my thoughts, my reasonings and thoughts into agreement with God's viewpoint? Well, then I'm basically accomplishing my own will in that, in that area of my life. All right, so let's make it real practical. God says, I hate putting away or I hate divorce. Is there anything about those words that we don't understand? <laughs> it seems pretty clear to me, bro. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so that being the case, you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to go to your favorite pastor to figure out what God said. You don't have to go to your friends and your relatives to try to find out that they'll have a play ring around the rosy with you uh, as to what it really means, what God said. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. So how is it then that for the past 25 years, the divorce rate in the church has nearly equaled that of the nation as a whole, and in the Bible Belt of America, the divorce rate for the past 20 years has exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%. How can you explain that? Well, there's been an extreme attack on the authority of God's Word for quite some time, and now we're seeing the fruit of of that uh, manifesting all, all over our country right now, was people don't no longer view the Word of God as authoritative. It's suggestive. In other so words, their marriages are not victorious, and they're not victorious in dealing with the issues in their families precisely because they don't agree with what God has said. That's, that's, that's what it comes down to, brother. Just Is that simple. any different than what happened with uh, the serpent and Eve in the garden? No, I mean, that's no different at all. He, 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 he spoke a question to undermine the command of God, and then, then she uh, begins that conversation with him as a deceiver. He plants that lie in her heart, distorts her understanding, and, and so the process of destruction begins. And all of that echoed out. And it didn't stop with divorce. Then it went to remarriage, which uh, the Apostle Paul and Jesus called adultery, if your spouse is still living. So then we became serial adulterers. 
But it didn't stop there. Then that gave authentication to the homosexual movement. And then the homosexual movement uh, took that further to homosexual marriage, same-sex marriage. And then they took that to the next step, transgenderism. And now it's taking to the next step, Peter pederasty and uh, uh, all other kinds of perversion. So... If only we would have recognized that what God had said would enable us to walk in victory, we would never have embarked upon that. We just didn't agree, did we? I mean, it really is just that simple. Those people just do not come into agreement with, with the Word of God. They come into agreement with what you're saying, your, your own human reasoning, your own imaginations, instead of casting those things down. That's, that's what people are exalting because they really don't want Jesus as Lord. They only want him as Savior. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. They only want a Savior, but they don't want a Lord. Hmm. Hmm. We need to let that sink in. The jury needs to let that sink in. (laughs) You have just spoken something very, very profound here. Now... Let's apply it in an area that you had a problem with in your life. Alcohol and drugs, right? That's correct. Okay. So early on in your life, you had a problem with alcohol and drugs. No question about that, right? No question at all, bro. All right. Were you a believer then? No, I was not a believer. I was actually a self-professed atheist at that point. (laughs) Okay. Well, you've taken a leap of faith, brother. (laughs) It just shows the power of God for salvation, just the very words that you're sharing with us here today. That's victory. Victory, victory. And so what happened? You came to Christ. What happened to the alcohol and the drugs? Well, the way I came to Christ was by a supernatural encounter uh, with the Lord. I overdosed on drugs, and I found myself in ICU where my kidneys had failed and my liver was failing, and Mm. I had an open vision of Jesus stepping into my hospital room, and that's how I got saved. (laughs) Wow. So you had to get drugged out to get saved? Well, I hit rock bottom (laughs) on the that. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Since you were saved, uh, did you decide that you were going to start drinking in moderation? (laughs) Oh, no. Did you decide you were going to start using drugs in moderation? Absolutely not. Well, why? Didn't the Bible say something about moderation in all things? Well, the way I looked at it, the Bible said that I am a new creation in Christ, and and, and so, therefore, I had new desires, new uh, new life, and I was going to live that out. You know, I just was completely and totally set free from from that life of addiction and drugs. I never even had a desire to do it again from from that encounter. Well, that's pretty Lord, that's pretty I, wonderful. But you could have. I mean, everybody and his brother out there is drinking. In fact, the guzzling of wine has become the new go to thing in the church today. It seems. Well, I would agree with that because I do a lot of traveling, and I have been shocked of how many ministers will go into their green room and drink after a, after a service. Yeah, and I, I don't go into those green rooms. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, here's the deal: you can go to the Bible in the book of. 
Proverbs, and you can find the warnings against uh, wine and strong drink, both of them. And uh, yes, the Bible does not absolutely prohibit the drinking of alcohol. I agree with that. However, why would you run into the arms of temptation just because you could? Yeah, it doesn't make any any natural sense. You know, just because uh, you have the freedom to do something doesn't mean that you should do, do it, you know. And why would I want to open a door back into my life of destruction that the Lord is obviously closed? You know, Ephesians uh, 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, that's right. what I want to be drunk on. So I'm people will say, well, I don't want to be drunk with wine. I just want to drink it. <laughs> well, the way I look at it is, a lot of times people use drinking and wine as different things of that nature as really as a crutch, as a substitute for the Holy Spirit. Well, not only that, but they use it to become like the world. I'm sorry, that's yeah. just exactly what's happening. It's happening in the church. The same thing is happening with the tattoo business. Everything is moving to the domination of the world, and we justify it. Just justify it, because we want to. How in the world, I'm struggling with this, how can people walk in victory when they intentionally submit themselves to the tempter? It doesn't make any sense at all. You're coming into agreement with him, and you, by your own authority, is authorizing his purpose in your life. You're authorizing the work of Satan to bring destruction. And defeat. I mean, when you look at Jesus, Jesus didn't imitate the world to get people saved. He revealed the world of which he came to represent. Oh, so Jesus came to make disciples. Isn't that what he told us to do in Matthew 28, the Great Commission? He said, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. How is it then that we decided we didn't like to make disciples, but we'd like to evangelize and build churches? <laughs> have you have you noticed the, the the what we did there? We don't like the hard work of discipleship, teaching people to obey, because we don't like the word obey. So what we want to do? Jesus said, "I'll build my church. You make disciples." So we decided to build churches and don't make disciples. <laughs> That's right. Isn't it amazing? Well, and really, because we're not making disciples, the churches have become a Hollywood version of the gospel where it's focused on entertaining the saints instead of equipping the saints. Well, that's what happened in ancient Rome. Circuses and uh, bread and circuses. (laughs) So, you know, when when you start looking at things this way, We have to shake our heads and say, "Come on, Lord, help, help me to get help me to get straight. Help me not to play this game any longer, the game of the world." Paul didn't he say, "Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God." And then I think of Jesus' brother James. He said, "Submit to God." And resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. 
But what do we try to do? We try to resist the devil, and we don't want to submit to God. Try to make sense out of that one, William. <laughs> well, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, we have become just like Satan tempting and testing Eve in the garden, we become just like her, accepting his deception, seducing ourselves even, playing games with God, and then we cannot figure out why we're not walking in victory. That's right. Well, I mean, James 1 says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. So deceiving yourself. So if we're just hearers only, we're living in self-deception. You know, and, well, and even in John 8, and 31 and 32, leading up to the famous uh, 32 verse there. In verse 31, he says, And I'm speaking to the Jews that believed in me. If you continue in my word, you are disciples indeed. Mm. And then you know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You know, so, the, so a disciple is someone that continues in his word. <laughs> so the great, de- the, the great deception of all times is uh, Satan's effort to get us to diss what God has said to take exception to what God has said, in whole or in part. And we think we're so smart, and we can develop all kinds of theological ramifications why we should be able to disagree with what God has said in simple terms. What a game we play. And then we can't understand why we're not walking in victory. I don't get it. Well, I'm with you, brother. I mean, hey. uh, when I'm talking to some people, I just have to be honest with you. The spirit of slap comes all over me. <laughs> the spirit of slap. And we've only talked about two chapters in your book. <laughs> wow. Friends, this book is going to make you happy. I'll tell you. That is if you want to walk in the spirit and not a walk in the flesh. If you want, If you want victory every day, this book is for you. $18, $17. On our website, Everyday of Victory. On our website, saveus.org. Call us 1 800 Save USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. Practical weapons to fight, stand, and live free. Friends, these are perilous times. Can we still keep playing these games and expect change that we can believe in and God's blessing? Come on. Become a partner, friends. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Don't delay. Let's get on with it. Prepare the way of the Lord. To Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.